series that's going to take us from now until Advent. A few weeks ago, oh, I'll just, all right. A few weeks ago, I was in a meeting with someone, and they used this word. They said they were feeling faith fatigue to describe how they were feeling. And as I've shared that description with people over the last number of weeks, a lot of people have resonated with that description. They feel a faith fatigue. And so I began to wonder, in this time of disruption and fatigue, this time where many feel this faith fatigue, what word of encouragement will be good news to us as we are tired? And so I've come with this series, and I offer it to you. We're going to call it Walking the Valley. And the image that you can't see because it didn't translate is of a valley. But it's also disrupted, and there's, it's, 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 it's been shaken and, and distorted. It seems to me a good illustration of this place that we find ourselves. There is a spiritual a physical, a mental valley that many of us feel that we are walking through right now. And so uh, I want to remind you over the next five weeks as we lead up to Advent that we are not alone. That even though we walk through this valley, we are not alone. All the saints in the story of God have experienced both mountains and valleys. And so Psalm 23 is a picture of what I think about when I think about walking the valley. Right at the very center of Psalm 23, if you count the lines, right there in the middle, Psalm 23, it says, Even when I walk through the valley of death, you are with me. Eugene Peterson calls this the great shadow of all that is wrong in the world. And it threatens to blot out the good and merciful presence of the shepherd. The psalm begins so well. Psalm 23 is is this beautiful. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me by restful waters. He keeps me alive. And he guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. It's the wonders of life, the goodness of a shepherd. There is no lack. There is rescue and safety and security and food and drink. If you close your eyes and you listen to that psalm, you imagine green pastures, warm sun, a babbling brook. It's beautiful, a a moment captured out of of a perfect day. And then verse 4, the center of the poem. The sky is darkened, the cold wind blows, and a shadow of death appears. The clouds cover the sun. Peterson wrote, The shadow of death, cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, divorce, domestic abuse, grinding poverty, homelessness. We might add a whole other list of shadows to that list. The many burdens that we carry, the self-doubt, the fear, the things that keep us up at night. Peterson ends by saying, our lives are lived in the company of both the shadow and the shepherd. There is a tension that we, a people of faith, are called to live into. 
As much as we would love God to promise us that nothing bad will happen to us, my friends, it is simply something that simply God does not promise to us. If anything, the overwhelming thrust of Scripture, of our history, of our stories, corporately and personally, it is that God does indeed allow us to experience the touch of this cold shadow. There are libraries of books written on the topic. Theodicy is the fancy word for it. A question of why does a good, all-powerful, all-loving God not stop evil? We could talk about that for eons. The church has and will continue to wrestle with the question. However, rather than trying to resolve it, perhaps we can recognize the truth of what pastor and author Tish Harrison Warren says. The church has always known this paradox, but instead of resolving the tension, it has let it persist. The tension of the company of both shadow and shepherd is not one that we can escape. So what then, given this reality, does the psalmist invite the company of faith, those who journey with them through the valley of the shadow of death, to see? Psalm 23 is the convincing witness that God is our shepherd. That God is the shepherd who preserves us and accompanies us and rules us. Or in the words of the great theologian Karl Barth, I never pass up an opportunity to quote Barth. He said, the Lord is never absent, passive, non-responsive, or impotent, but always present, active, responsive, and omnipotent. He is never dead, but always living, never sleeping, but always awake, never uninterested, but always concerned, never merely waiting in any respect, but even where he seems to wait, even where he permits, always holding the initiative. While the center of Psalm 23 includes the presence of the shadow, the psalm is bookended by the never-wavering presence and care of the Good Shepherd. If you look, you will see that on both sides of the psalm, the promises are the same. Security, comfort, food, and drink, the presence of God, no lack, no wants. It is the first part begins with this, this picture of, of meadows and happiness and butterflies and unicorns. And then we're introduced to the shadow of death. But the promises of the first half hold true on the second half as well. But it is now provided in the midst of the acknowledgement of the shadow. The Christian faith is not naive to the problems or troubles or struggles of this world. But it holds to the faith of the Good Shepherd. Part of the witness of Scripture is to tell us in the ways in which God has worked in the past so that we can see how God is working in the present and current situations. So I'd like to read part of Deuteronomy 31 today. Deuteronomy 31, the people are on the edge of the promised land. They are getting prepared to enter in to the land that God has promised. Moses has just given them all of his instructions to the people, and he begins and he says this. 
I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan River, but the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will lead you across the river, just as the Lord promised. The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land, just as he's destroyed Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there, and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Moses called for Joshua and all the Israelites watched, and he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors that he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. I've thought about this passage, the story. Moses was the leader. He was the one with the direct connection to God. He was the intermediary between God and the people. And now, all of a sudden, he's saying, I'm not going to be there. If I'm the people, I'm beginning to wonder, what about God? Is he going to be with me? Will God be with me? I know he was with Moses, but will God be with me? The people also generally held this belief that the gods were bound by land, right? The, the god of this place was not necessarily the god of this place. And so as they're preparing to cross through the waters, you have this question of, is God going to still be God on this side of the river? Is God going to still be God even in this circumstance. Sure, he proved himself in Egypt, so we know he has some power there, but we're not in Egypt anymore. We're going somewhere new. Will God be with me there? And in the midst of these questions, these fears, these concerns, we hear over and over the call to be strong, to be courageous, not because you are supposed to be strong and courageous and build it up from within yourself, but because God is promising that he will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. God won't let you down or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. He will be with you and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. Being strong and courageous is not about what you work up. It is about the presence of the one who is with you. I love the story, the image, the reminder, the promise. I am going with you. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And so, friends, we are not alone. The story of Scripture is the story of a God who pursues us, 
who promises to be with us. The story of a God who promises to be with us, and it weaves through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story of shadows, of darkness, of death, of sin, which constantly seek to pull the people of God down into despair, and the story of a God who walks with his people, saving them, rescuing them, giving them courage. It is the story of a God who becomes vulnerable, just like his people, who walks on this planet like us, who experiences suffering and pain and betrayal, just like us, who takes upon himself all that is wrong with this world, and he begins to reorder it, restore it, renew it. It is the story of a good shepherd who will give us all that we need, and will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So that we need not fear any evil, because God himself is with us. I'd like to give the last word to Tish. She writes, Christians believe that this cosmic reordering has already begun in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the sole evidence that love triumphs over death, that beauty outlives horror, that the meek will inherit the earth, that those who mourn will be comforted. The reason I can continue to watching and waiting even as the world is shrouded in darkness is because the things I long for are not rooted in wishful thinking or religious ritual, but are as solid as a stone rolled away. When our lives are wrapped round with privileges and comfort, some may muse about the emotional benefit of spirituality or prayer, regardless of what anyone believes is, strictly speaking, true. But when we're suffering, it becomes clear that if there isn't a resurrection, we followers of Christ are wasting a lot of pain. It's when we encounter adversity that the Paul's words make sense. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's ride or die. It is because of Jesus' resurrection then that we can say everything will be okay in the end. We endure the mystery of theodicy by waiting with bated breath for the things God has promised, for the kingdom to come, for peacemakers to be called children, for the pure of heart to see God, and for God himself to comfort us in our mourning. Let's pray. O oh God, our good shepherd, we pray that you would comfort us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us food and drink, that you would rescue us and give us safety and give us rest. Good Shepherd, I pray that we would know your presence. Holy Spirit, fill us with the knowledge of your Son. Come quickly, Lord, to reorder your creation, to restore it, and to renew it. We long for your coming, O King Jesus, our good shepherd.